Welcome back! Hey guys! Actually, I vowed I'd stop saying welcome back and hi at the end of it. Well, what am I supposed to say at the start of every episode if I don't say either of those things? Just, what's that? <laughs> it's 2001. Life is good. Was it 2001 when that came out? The was it? I have no idea. It's just was a just random a, fact. Huh. It was just a, a guess off the top of my head. I Something I did notice that I was kind of laughing at in the car on the way home. Like, I never listened to the, like intro music or the outro music of the podcast like ever like so mm-hmm. when I'm listening to podcasts I kind of skip forward and I listen to bits and bobs of it and like so <laughs> I think the days that we're like talking about really serious subjects and the music's like Nazis like it's just it's like then she went to Sligo and accidentally killed her son yeah it's like so yeah um, but I, I don't know, I like the music. It's Keep cool. me cheery. It's funky. Okay, so welcome back. <laughs> Episode, I believe, seven now. Wow. We're really... Seventh heaven. Yeah, we're really um, knocking them out of the park. We're trying anyway. We're trying. We're trying. <laughs> Quality of them <laughs> might not be... No, it's fine, actually. Okay, Brendan O'Connor. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Poor Brendan. I feel like we just selected him and he's just getting <clears throat> so much abuse these days that... He really is. Yeah. Sorry. Did you ever follow him on Twitter or anything? No. No. <laughs> That was very. It was emphatic, wasn't it? It was like, no. Blunt to do that. What am I, his mother? Um, So, yeah, this episode seven, we are very grateful for, again, as always, for the lovely messages we've been getting, the feedback. Um, I had a lovely text from Ashlyn. I used to work with Ashlyn, and she is an absolute starver. And she sent a very complimentary message about the podcast. And Mm. I was like, thank you, Ashlyn. Thank you. Um, so that meant a lot. And because I, w- I don't see Ashlyn um, very often because we don't work together anymore, I know that she's not just saying that just in case she awkwardly runs into me in <laughs> at the kettle <laughs> in the staff room, you know what I mean? So I'm like, oh, she actually means it. Thanks, Ashlyn. We're very grateful, guys. 1,000 downloads. Yeah, we've, um, as of today, even over, I think we've left 1,100 downloads, which is, I mean, and it's not just us. Down- it only counts our download once, so... <laughs> <laughs> so it's yeah. definitely not us doing that Me a thousand times. I'm myself all the time. So <laughs> what remember, is oh, yeah. I was just going to bring up Bebo. Do you remember on Bebo when you had like page views and oh, like Bebo love? Do you remember you could give your heart to someone? <laughs> and like, I'm sorry now when you're an insecure teenager that is just too, it's too much to you expect. Could, you could kind of arrange your, your top friends that were viewable, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. on your page for everyone else. That was stressful as well. It was actually causing a, a lot of anxiety, I'd say, and stress for young people at the time. Just nobody really talks about it anymore. I, I mean, I'm glad it's deleted, obviously, and it's gone. It was I just, cannot it was, recover things. like It was hyper-competitive, wasn't horrific. it? Horrific, yeah. It was just toxic um, when you look back. Okay, uh, this is a history podcast, in case we have any new listeners. Evo is history, man. <laughs> it is, technically, yes. <laughs> in case any listeners are like new and they're like, why are they talking about Bebo? <laughs> Bebo's back! <laughs> Okay, so um, I have, yeah, I have something light, as I promised last week, after my um, Nazi descendants. Um, And I don't know what you have. And this is the fun of it. I never know what V is going to do from week to week. So I, which is, I'm hearing it for the first time here as well. for you though. This is is the element of surprise about the podcast. It's just, you don't know what's going to be brought up, but we really appreciate you tuning in and listening to us talk about it. Wait for it. Podcasters like a box of chocolates. Oh no. <laughs> you never know what you're gonna get. <laughs> you gotta find Bubba. 
God, a fire, Bubba. We okay. can have people from America. We listening. do have we people do, from yeah. America listening, so I'm deeply. Sorry. I apologize, Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. In fairness, we're Irish. We have gotten how many Americans doing terrible Irish accents over the years? So this is old. <laughs> yeah, this is due. Okay. Um. So you're gonna go first. I am. Yay. Okay. So uh, I can't clap. I'm silent clapping because I realise into the she's very supportive and fearless to her. Um, You never, you don't see her, but she's actually clapping. Silent clapping. Yeah. Sound. Um. Okay. Uh. Today, for all our listeners and for yourself, I'm going to tell you a historical story about a lady called Olga of Kiev. And I put on that horrible accent because she's from Kiev and I'm not. And that's why the accent was horrible. Uh, But anyway, okay. So, Olga of Kiev. Um, This lady, she was born in the year 890 AD. So she was born in the 9th century, everybody. uh, In a place called Plezkov in Kievian Rus, sorry, uh, which is pre-Russia. Okay. So... Yeah, the Kievian Rus was a medieval political federation located uh, in around modern day kind of Belarus, Ukraine, um, just a part of Russia. And the region would have stretched all the way from, say, the Baltic Sea right down to the Black Sea. Right. Cool. So it's a, a, it's huge. It's humongous. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, when we're talking about Olga of Kiev, um, to the people who may not have heard of her, it's going to be a little bit complicated, a little bit tricky. So I'm trying to kind of simplify it, you know, the, the basic facts, that what's known about her in general. And here are some facts for you. Uh, Olga is known as the Viking Saint of Russia. Uh, she's also known as the patron saint of widows and converts. Uh, she is also known as the first recorded female ruler of Russia. She is the first leader in Kiev to have converted to Christianity. Okay. But most importantly, uh, Olga of Kiev has been written into history as one of the most vengeful and terrifying rulers to have ever lived, and with good reason. Um, don't Google her just yet, but um, when you guys, you know, get around to it, when you Google a picture of her, uh, yeah, you'll understand. All right. Can, so, I, can I Google her? Oh, yeah, defo, defo, <clears throat> go for it. Um, okay, when you do Google her and when you see, just when you actually see her, she's a... Uh, you can just keep talking. She's I'm, I'm kind of like looking. how you'd imagine uh, a, an illustration embodying absolute rage. Like, hell hath no fury. Like a oh woman scorned. My. She's, yeah, yeah. You're not going to mess with her. God. Right? She is like... Oh, they think here that Cersei from Game of Thrones is like based on her. There you appearance. go. There you go. She <laughs> was really, really cool. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Okay, I hope you can listeners, make so many memes on that. Yeah, one. like if you Google her, the the kind of picture here that I have, obviously it's like a iconography, and, and she's like leaning for, like she's giving like a real, <laughs> she's about to attack. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's amazing. I'm actually really intrigued by her now. Yeah, she's she's pretty badass, and um, basically she's yeah. You're going to see why though. That's that's this is where the the all nub and core of the story is going to come along. So basically, anyway. I went searching and searching, you know, for information and records regarding her childhood. But um, the one of the quotes I got was basically, history gives Olga scarcely a glance for much of her life. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> However, what we do know is that she was probably of Varangian origin. 
And the Varangians was the name given by the Greeks and the Rus people for the Vikings that settled in those territories where Kievan Rus is. So kind of Scandinavian running down that Russian uh, geographical landscape. And it could be suggested so that she was a descendant of the Vikings. But what we do really know in terms of historical records and a little bit more, you know, depth about her is that she was married to Prince Igor of the Kievan Rus at around the age of 15 years old in 1903 AD. Now, we have to kind of have a look at this Prince Igor fellow before we get to the juicy bits, all right? It's all about the context, people. Um, You know, you can't have your orange without peeling the skin off. I don't know if that makes any sense. Um, But what we know about Prince Igor is that he, um, what what we know about him comes from, I'm just looking at my sources, from a Russian primary chronicle. So it's kind of vague even saying that, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just a primary chronicle from Russia. (laughs) Um, It looks like you just made it up, like, from a Russian primary (laughs) chronicle (laughs) that is definitely in existence. Listen, go to the internet. The internet backs (laughs) everything up, people. Um, But he rules uh, the Kievan Rus from 913 until his death in the year 1940, or 945. I was like, wow, he's old. He's ancient, man. Um. So this huge territory of the Kiefer Rus was about 1.33 million square kilometers. And during this period, um, the Kiefer Rus was so big that it would have actually obviously encountered difficult relationships with the territories located outside of it. And many of these territories were made up of tribal populations. So, for example, Igor, when he was leading the Kievan Rus around the place and establishing his authority, he would have clashed against Turkish tribes around the Black Sea areas Um even bigger than the tribal clashes, he found himself striking out against the Byzantine uh, Empire. Uh, he also extended his authority through the regions by seeking out tribute payments from neighbouring tribes. And one of these tribes, and this is important, uh, is called the Drevlians. In the year 945, Igor travelled to the Drevlians tribe towards the east. And upon this occasion, he wanted more money being paid to him as tribute. You know, like, you know, pay me more money to acknowledge me. I mean... Extortion, basically. Yeah, basically, yeah. And uh, the Drevlians were obviously just hands up. They were nah. just done. Oh, okay. And uh, they killed them. Oh, <laughs> yeah. fair and play to them. Scandalous, like, yeah, they just... <laughs> <laughs> take that. <laughs> like, take that, yeah. Igor. Um, and like, according... Sorry, bro. <laughs> it's just like, it's just business. Um, <laughs> just get busy. Um, according to sources, his death was severe and brutal. Uh, quotation... They had bent down two birch trees to the prince's feet and tied them to his legs. Then they let the trees straighten again, thus tearing the prince's body apart. Oh, wow. Yeah, gnarly. Um, (laughs) So, notably, Igor and Olga, his wife, who we're still talking about, you know, uh, they did have a three-year-old son named, I'm so sorry to everybody for my pronunciation, Sviatoslav. S-V-I-A-T-O-S-L-A-V. Okay. Thank you. Can we just call him Steve? (laughs) Can we call him Steve? Yeah. Thank you. And obviously the three-year-old could not replace his dead father as the ruler. Um, Or to be more precise, the regent uh, of Kivian Rus. So Olga stepped in and she became the regent or the leader, the ruler of a regent. Sorry, I'm getting all my words mixed up. Of the Kivian Rus instead. Mm-hmm. In addition, she had the support of her people. They liked her. As you can tell from the pictures that you Googled, you'd like her very much too. Oh my God. You would. Um, anywho, the Drevlians, uh, they saw Olga replacing Igor as an opportunity 
to extend themselves into the Kiev universe, okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, into the power. So a prince by the name of Prince Mal of the Drevlians uh, attempted to establish a marriage between him and Olga a while after. And Prince Mal decided that he would send 20 of his men to Olga with the intention that they would take her back, you know, to their territory and they'd all get married and they'd bring little Steve with them as well. And, and they'd all get married? No, no, no. <laughs> I was like, jeez, Olga. <laughs> Were they like taking her back? Yeah, like, yeah. Sorry. Eager sent the 20 okay. lads, you know, 20 they weren't, soldiers um, to escort her back. Um, they weren't like, she. they weren't kidnapping her. Well, I don't know. I mean, they had to go into her territory <laughs> Uh, okay. You know, convey what are we to propose? his proposal. Yeah, sending someone to propose Jeez. for you. It's like twenty will you meet people. My, will you meet my friend? It basically is. Yeah. yeah. Will you, you meet my you friend? My friend. Yeah. And like, I wonder, did they like sing like um? What are those things called when you send somebody a, like a kissogram or something? Oh god. Oh god. Oh god. <laughs> will you marry me? <laughs> What's his name? Mal, is it? Yeah, this is Prince Mal. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Eager's gone. Sorry, Eager. Eager's dead. Yeah, he's gone. Long gone. <laughs> he's moved on. Um, so yeah, he sent 20 men to uh, convey this proposition. And, right. you know, she'd say yes, apparently. And she'd come back and they'd have a nice little discussion. That's what's in his uh-huh. mind. And uh, see, obviously, um, Olga... There's, you know, there's a reason that she's terrifying and uh, it all kind of begins to play out here. And basically, the 20 men arrived to Olga at the reception hall in Kiev upon the orders from Prince Mal. Yeah. Uh, And they came via ship. Okay. Okay. So, according to Chronicle sources, Olga responded to this marriage proposition via the following quotation. Your proposal is pleasing to me. Indeed, my husband cannot rise again from the dead, but I desire to honour you tomorrow in the presence of my people. This is terrible, I know. Uh, Return now to your boat and remain there. Put on a show of great arrogance. When I sing for you tomorrow, say that you will not ride on horses or go on foot. Insist that my people carry you to me by boat. So, long story short, Olga's like, yeah, sure, lads, but listen... Come back tomorrow and we'll talk about a bit more, 20 lads. Uh, but come in by your boat. You know what? Actually, we'll carry you in here on boat. You're great. I like you. I just want to have a big spectacle. Okay. So the 20 lads are like, all right, sure. Yeah, fine, grand. Yeah, we'll head back to the boat there and we'll come back tomorrow. I also really like the Dracula kind of accent. I know, I really insulted every Kievian <laughs> Rus person. It's bad enough I'm thinking about Chicken Kiev in my mind right now. I don't I know. know why. That's been at the back of my mind I too. Know, right? But also, yeah, just the Dracula accent was strong and I liked it, frankly. Remember all those acting lessons? <laughs> acting. I paid for those. <laughs> um. So, yes. Uh, the 20 lads go away, right? They return to their ship. And while they're gone, Olga gets to work. Yes. You see, this lady of integrity and pure ragey vengeance, uh, she ordered her men to dig a massive ditch in the reception hall at Kiev. Oh, my God. Then the Kievan Rus soldiers went to fetch the, the Drevlian men the next day and ensured that they were carried into the hall on their ship. Oh, my God. And then at Olga's order, the Kievan men dropped the ship into the ditch. And had them buried alive. <gasps> right? But it's not over. Which <laughs> is her way of saying, no, I don't want to marry him. <laughs> well, you see, in these times, we don't have social media or text messages or anything. So time is not kind of on our side. Messenger pigeon. No, or... the pigeons are just all cooped up. <laughs> just <laughs> terrified of her. <laughs> no. no. Um, 
Okay, I mean, geez, she obviously was like insulted or something, wasn't she? Well, or... She was like, y'all killed my husband. So, I mean, I'm just not going to let oh, you know it was, when it was off. vengeance. Yeah, yeah it's, okay. It's, it's starting to unravel. <sighs> so, um, obviously, if any listener thinks that this is the correct way to reject a marriage you know, proposal. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not, sorry. <laughs> I'm like... <laughs> Completely contradicting you. I'm like, it's not the right way. And you're like, it is. <laughs> well, whose side are you on, people, huh? And um, right, what we obviously realize is that Olga's not playing. These are the tribal people that are responsible for killing Igor and leaving their son without his father. So she just wanted a chill life, and now she's, you know, here having to be a ruler with all these responsibilities. And Steve, like, just, yeah, just, just that's just that's I don't know what's worse, ruling a kingdom or having it. I mean, you just tell me. And. Um, Sorry. Um, so after the brutal response, <laughs> Olga sent word to Prince Mal that she would totes marry him if he sent his finest best men to escort her back to him. <laughs> and she felt that would be more respectful and be fishing for a woman of such high status as herself. Brilliant. Well, Mal, the big just anyway, he agrees. And he ended up sending his loveliest men to Olga all the way to Kiev. And when the, the Drevlian, these best Drevlian, Drevlian, excuse me, men arrived, Olga decided that they should all have a bath after their bumpy, dirty journey to her. <laughs> God, what's she going to do to them? <laughs> That's what you're thinking. You're like, oh, well. Oh, God, Olga. <laughs> so, um, you know, yeah, after their, their, their journey. So um, she'd meet them after they were all cleaned up. Okay. So Olga's subjects prepared a bathhouse for the men. And uh, after it was heated, the Drevlian men entered the bathhouse to bathe, and then Olga's men boarded up the doors to the bathhouse and set it on fire, thus burning them all alive. (laughs) That's what we call the midsummer. (laughs) (laughs) What a film, by the way. Um, Did they not notice that the previous 20 men... This will come back, because obviously that's logic, and that logic actually comes back in, because... Because the king not like, hang on a second. Well, it was a long journey, you know, so I mean, those 20 lads, obviously... Oh, yes, for the gap, they're on the way back there, yeah. Yes, that comes up, that actually comes up. Um, So yeah, she sent word to the Drevlians that she was actually on her way with the best men... Uh, that had been sent to fetch her and that she would be accompanied by her own Kivian Rusmin also. So she's going to go to the Drevlian territory to the tribe and meet Prince Mal in person, mm-hmm. right? And um, she had ordered a feast to be put on for her arrival. So I'm assuming those pigeons were finally freed from their cages and they're like, <laughs> and then cooked. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there's a bit of a sadness about birds coming up in a while. So trigger warning if you love birds. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, the capital of this, uh, the Drevlian cap, sorry, Drevlian capital is called Iskorostin. And that's where she would be received. So she put on her finest clothes and set out for Iskorostin, where she visited the site where her husband had been killed there and she wept and grieved openly, it was recorded. And then after this, she met with the Drevlians. And then they all dined together at this feast in Iskorostin. And then... The Kivian Rusmin who had accompanied her encouraged the Drevlians to at the feast to consume more and more alcohol. And eventually, after some time, there were questions. Yeah, as you said, do you know about like, you know, where are our other lads that we sent over to you in Kivian Rus? Like, where are all our Drevlian men? Yeah. And Olga just straight up lied and informed the lads like they'd be with them soon. Like they're they're on their way. Okay. 
So anyway, <clears throat> basically, the Drevlian, the Drevlians, I'm so sorry, it's just a very difficult word for me to pronounce. <laughs> uh, they got so drunk that it wasn't long before Olga's Kievian Rus squad killed 5,000 of them before legging it back to Kiev. So wow. basically, they were slaughtered while they were langers. And um, they were like, oh, look at me, yeah, like, that's so cool. <laughs> oh, you just stabbed me in the side, bro. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> um, so after returning, Olga bulked up her armies even furthermore uh, with the plan to return to Ishkor. I thought you were going to say that Olga bulked up even more. <laughs> yeah, she just, just got out her weight protein. I just imagined yeah, this like rocky <laughs> montage of her just lifting weights but like, bring it on. <laughs> Olga's ready. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so I actually realised something when we're recording the podcast and we get into fits of laughter. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it just records as like silence, so it could be like five seconds of just total silence when we're like we're trying we're, to catch our breath, wheezing, laughing at our own jokes. I actually never mind. I'm not even going down that story. No, I can't do it to the listeners. Um, I was just going to tell a story of when I laughed so hard once I fell unconscious. But anyway, um. Olga returns to Ishgorushtan, where the Drevlians started to offer anything to her in exchange for their lives, okay? They offered her money, treasure, furs, honey, ingredients, anything, because they're like, well, 5,000 of her men were just slaughtered there a while back. Olga's on her way to kill us all. Uh, But weirdly, Olga offered them something uh, different instead. She said, quote, Give me three pigeons and three sparrows from each house. (laughs) As you do. Um, I do not desire to impose a heavy tribute like my husband, Igor. But I require only this small gift from you, for you are impoverished by the siege. So she's being sound she's just like give me some birds people yeah and I'll yeah you're all fine just give me some just gonna make some, some wings and whatever she, yeah she's, it's, stuff's about to get dark okay um, so over you know over the moon obviously the Drevlian people are delightfully like they're all grabbing tree pigeons and tree sparrows from each gaff and Olga took the birds and she gave the birds to her soldiers and the soldiers ended up tying pieces of sulphur bound with cloth to the birds before releasing them back into the into S I can never say the word, the capital. So one source specifies that the birds flew to their nests, the pigeons to the coats, and the sparrows under the eaves. The dovecoats, the coops, the porches, and the haymows were set on fire. There was not a house that was not consumed, and it was impossible to extinguish uh, extinguish the flames because all of the houses caught fire at once. So basically, the birds firebombed the city. Like okay, un- and- unintentionally as well. <laughs> the birds are just, just birds. You leave the birds day. alone. <laughs> they have nothing to do with this. Oh, that is like so. It was wiped out. The whole she's city was like wiped the OG part. bride from Kill Bill. Yeah, she is. Like she's like, just hell bent on the most she's like wiggling cruel. her big toe. Yeah, she is. Yeah. Like the most like insane vengeance. Like it's absolutely nuts. So I'll just try and finish it up. I don't want to, to keep you going for too long there now. This is amazing. Yeah, this is like the best story ever. She's she's absolutely terrifying. Um, so the city was wiped out from the fires, and any survivors that were caught escaping were uh, killed quickly or captured. As Olga absolutely smashed her vengeful goals and the tribes people who killed her eager. You did great, sweetie. You <laughs> She's did the great. best around. No one's ever gonna get her down. <laughs> anyway, by we the time... We promised we'd stop singing on the podcast. We can't, though. We actually didn't promise. We made no such yeah. promise. <laughs> yeah, go away. Go away. We'll sing all we want. 
And so her son, Steve, was a grown, by the time he was a grown man, he enjoyed participating in military campaigns more. So Olga actually remained handling the internal matters of Kiev. Okay. Uh, and it was around 955 <laughs> when she converted to Christianity. Whereas mm-hmm. her son did not. So Steve would be the last non-Christian ruler of the Kiev Rus. Okay. Whereas Vladimir the Great, his future son, which would be Olga's grandson. Yeah. Uh, it was he who would make Christianity the official religion of the Kievian Rus in 988. Oh, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine her as a Christian, like her first confession? <laughs> Bless me, fat father. <laughs> <laughs> For I've sinned. Uh, I don't know where to start. It's been 45 years since my husband. And then she'd be like, um, yeah, there like six hours later. I hit my brother (laughs) and I slaughtered 5,000 people and I buried loads of my life. (laughs) Then I got some birds. (laughs) The birds would be like, um. Father O'Shea just sitting in the the Can you imagine if you give the absolution for that, you'd be like, how many decades of the rules were you? I don't even. You'd probably have to leave the confession booth and find the bishop and be like, listen, I've got a problem. (laughs) We got it. We got a four-woman step. Um, so it was Vladimir the Great that would actually be known as the proclaimed or, uh, prince of Russia, all Russia, extending all uh, his Russian territories, conquering parts of Poland and Lithuania. But anyway, we'll just end it there. Uh, Olga left her legacy uh, in 1547, nearly 600 years after her death in 969. Um, the Russian Orthodox Church named her as a saint. <clears throat> yeah, sure. Um, I'm going to tie this up with a citation, by the way, from that Russian primary chronicle uh, that I did not make up, people. That is <laughs> not, not my diary. If he's <laughs> <laughs> diary. Um, but it describes her as the following. Uh, the precursor of the Christian land, even as the day spring precedes the sun and as the dawn precedes the day. For she shone like the moon by night and she was radiant among the infidels like a pearl in the mire, since the people were soiled and not yet purified of their sin by holy baptism. So basically she's been remembered or recorded as a saint. Like when you think wow. of the word saint, you think of somebody that's holy <clears throat> and yeah. kind. And, yeah. um, they're venerated like they're, they're yeah. yeah. I want that as my Instagram bio. <clears throat> what that whole thing that's yeah. what you want to be really I, that's going to be my new Instagram bio yeah that's amazing <laughs> I think I deserve it frankly <laughs> as long as you don't bury loads of people no I won't I won't do any yeah, of the no, killing no just, revenge and that no one's going to write, write this stuff about me so I might as well just say it about myself <laughs> um, her name can also be known as Helga which is very uh, okay Vikingian like, like oh, uh, yeah <laughs> They're two great names. If there's any Helgas or Olgas. I, I apologise for that. Yeah. yeah. But that is the story of Olga of Kiev. And that uh, was amazing, actually. I really I'm really happy that. you enjoyed it. Yes, I'm I really did. Happy. She's um, terrifying. That was, she's very scary. And actually, listeners, you need to Google mm. Olga of Kiev right now. Definitely. Her portrait is one of the funniest things I've ever it seen. It reminds me of just the cat when they're she, in a bad mood. You yeah. Know? Like, you just don't mess with She's that. actually leaning. She's giving the look I give in class if students are, are speaking you know with the lean forward with your head you lean forward and you kind of narrow your eyes she, I'm, she's kind of giving the look that you know when you're far down the corridor and yeah. there's somebody messing far up the corridor yeah. and you're like notice it's the, me please continue look and see what happens it's yeah. like notice me through the crowds <laughs> just notice me watching you um, yeah terrifying okay. lady that terrifying. was amazing <clears throat> so I love that. enlighten me and listeners what are you going to talk about oh, yeah. today, uh, mine is very different I think this is actually something good about the show that we do extremely different stories every yeah. week and um, we don't know what the other person is going to do 
And I think that is a strength because it makes it fun for us as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because I knew nothing about Olga. I knew very little. I might have, you know, stumbled across her before, but I didn't know um, in that much depth. So it's great. So I'm learning <laughs> in the words, the words of Ralph. If I come, if I come back here and you like have a poster of her. In oh your my house. God. I'm kind of like, <laughs> well, yeah. I'm half tempted to have one as well. It's like the giant midsummer poster I have in my oh, living room. so cool. Um, okay. My one, I'm going to talk about something that I, again, about having your own podcast, you can be so selfish because you're like, I'm going to talk about the things I like. <laughs> the listeners just have to do you with us, frankly. Um, <laughs> especially the people we've trapped into listening. <laughs> like, you have listen to every episode. <laughs> we'll find you and we'll ask you questions. I'll be like, this is Did a... Did you listen? <laughs> what were like, you talking about? This is a four hour special on stamps. <laughs> <laughs> um... Look, all things space and space related. And um, I was, I kind of were thinking about a couple of things that I could do. Um, I was going to do the Apollo missions. And then I was like, oh, there's a lot about this stuff online. But my personal favourite um, space mission is the Voyager missions. Um, there's lots of reasons why I found a lot of interest here. And I think a lot of it has to do, of course, with the things that were kind of um, the things that have come out of it. So like the family portrait photos of the planets and the solar system, the information we got about the outer planets, the mm-hmm. pale blue dot, which I'll get to, Amazing. the um, the golden record that they sent on board the Voyager. So I'm going to give a little brief history of the Voyager 1 and 2 um space probes okay and their current location which is insane okay um before that i was even i was thinking today because this is what i was going to do i was actually going to do the lewis and clark expedition um in 1803 very cool and it would be it's really interesting it is and again listeners um i'm probably not going to do it now (laughs) um so if you want to go off and read it, knock yourselves out. Um, it's uh, But I was even thinking that the Lewis and Clark, the reason why I'm tying this in is because like that was in 1803, right? Um, and if like, if you think about that, the Voyager missions are only like 170 years later. It's not that much later. So mm. think about the Lewis and Clark expedition was to chart the Northwest the Northwest Passage in the United States. So like Louisiana had just been purchased in 1803. So anything kind of west of Louisiana was kind of uncharted territory from an American perspective, from mm-hmm. a, from the settlers perspective, we'll say. And um, the Lewis and Clark were mapping that. So like, think about that. The large portions of the United States were unmapped before 1803, mm-hmm. which isn't that long ago. Um, and then I was thinking about, so that's kind of um, exploration and our history of exploration, which was still heavily ongoing right into the 20th century mm-hmm. on Earth. So not even leaving Earth. And then you look at like flight and how new flight is. So like, you know, we think of the Wright brothers in the early 1900s. It was 1927. So exactly 50 years before the Voyager missions. So Voyager missions are 1977. Charles Lindbergh flew across the Atlantic. It was the first nonstop flight across the Atlantic from New York to Paris in 1927. Mm-hmm. Fly solo across the Atlantic. So like, <clears throat> if you think about that, in 50 years, we went from flying across the Atlantic to going into space. It's so incredible, isn't it? We it's just, just like innovation. It just the acceleration of it. That's it. It accelerated. So it propelled forward. Amazing! Pun. It's incredible. It is, and yeah, you could say following kind of the Second World War when we got um, propul- jet propulsion and um, rocket propulsion that we had like an explosion of missions. Obviously, the Apollo missions. Mm. The Soviets had like the Venera missions to um to Venus. 
if you look up the they're they are kind of funny because it take like I think it's like they are amazing oh my god and some of the photos from the, um, the surface of Venus which is insane because Venus is hell it's all sulfur isn't it it's, it's just all messed up it's and acid like and stuff and horrible on Venus and like, I'm your Venus <laughs> literally <laughs> um, so like it's just it's horrific and if you like if you think about that like landing even a probe now we don't hear a lot about Venera of course because of the Cold War because mm. they're in such a competition we hear far more about the, the West like oh, NASA's missions um, but the Venera one is quite like if you read Venera 1 2 a lot of them failed It t- there's like 15 or 16 Venera missions but anyway they're they're brilliant the Mariner missions the Pioneer mi- there was a lot more before the Voyager missions went out um, but the Voyager ones to me are my favourite and the reason they're my favourite I just think uh, well first of all they're the ones that have gone the furthest and they gathered some amazing information like some of the stuff so they gathered so these are probes right essentially yeah Basic, yeah, they're probes. There's, they're not manned. There's nobody yeah. on them. They have, um, they're equipped to shot into orbit. So they were uh, put aboard a rocket, yeah, and then just, um, their first initially they were only set up their initial, um, what's the word purpose? Purpose, yes. Mission was to conduct close up studies of Jupiter and Saturn. Okay. They were going to look at Saturn's rings. They were going to look at the larger moons of the two planets. Like we obviously knew since Galilean times that um, Jupiter had the Galilean moons. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we knew that there were some more moons knocking about the place between Jupiter and Saturn. But there was a lot of moons that hadn't, that the Voyagers actually discovered, which is kind of amazing. So, okay, I got, I decided at the start, a lot of my information and oh my God, it's, probably one of my favourite websites for the simple reason. It's the Jet Propulsion Lab at Caltech, which is in Pasadena in California. Um, If you watch like, the Big Bang Theory, that's where they all worked, Caltech. And uh, they just, you can just pick it up from the website. They wrote all about the Voyager mission. They just love, like, they write with such enthusiasm. The website is so educational. Mm-hmm. It's so much fun. I love this kind of stuff. Yeah, and like, they write it in a language that's really accessible. And um, like cool. it's really engaging. It's just b- bursting with enthusiasm. They just love their job and they're so passionate about space exploration. And I loved reading this mm-hmm. um, and researching it. I knew a lot of this, but I didn't know a lot of the figures and things like that. So that's okay. kind of why I went to it. But um, oh my God, the Jet Propulsion um, Lab at Caltech, if you look up the website, it's NASA. Like, so it's um, it's just so much fun. Um, okay, Voyager missions launched in 1977. So there's Voyager 1 and there's Voyager 2 and they left at separate times. Initial mission to remember, if just to remember this, the back of your minds is to explore Jupiter, Jupiter and Saturn um, and the kind of moons of the planets and take some photos and so on and so forth. But it goes, it was supposed to be five years. It's 41 years later and it is still going. So wow. that which is amazing. So twin spacecraft, um, uh, Voyager 1, Voyager 2, they were launched by NASA in separate months in the summer of 1977 from Cape Canaveral in Florida. Okay. As originally designed, the Voyagers were to conduct close-up studies of Jupiter and Saturn, Saturn's rings and the larger moons of the two planets. Okay. Um, So what I'm going to do before I actually... Actually... I knew you were going to lose it. <laughs> Can I please Actually, interject? Yeah, you have to tell. We're going to have to tell listeners what's going on with this. I've tried to keep it secret for so long. I'm so sorry for interjecting and interrupting because this is actually ex- <laughs> actually really interesting. Long story short, I'll keep it as short as I can. 
myself and Claire have known one another since what three years old you know yeah, two years old yeah. but uh one day upon the the mean streets of our beautiful country village uh humble abode uh, <laughs> of an estate myself and Claire were having a childhood fight I didn't realize you know that you know calling other kids names isn't very nice and that Claire was about a foot higher than me or something uh, taller, you know, in height. And I was quite small and still am quite small. I'm petite, okay? And um, Fun size. Yes, thank you. Petite. I just want to come across as classy. It's probably <laughs> yes, a bit sorry. late for that. <laughs> but basically, um, I was a bit of a coward and I was hiding in my garage. And I saw Claire walking by in the street and I said, I said something mean. I said, and I'll be nice about how the way I said this, but I said, go away, you giant freak. <laughs> from my garage still hurts me. and I, I I hid <laughs> of course you did because I, I was a giant freak <laughs> and the response I got was from outside my front gate was well actually Fanula I read the encyclopedia and the encyclopedia says that I am the average correct height for somebody my age and my whole world came crashing down <laughs> because I realised I don't read the encyclopedia and that means that the encyclopedia is saying, I'm wrong. I'm abnormal. I'm the freak. <laughs> so ever since then, throughout our whole lives, Claire has had a habit of just saying, actually. I say actually. And you know what? I, I was a pretty obnoxious child <laughs> in lots of ways. And I don't, I know it comes across so condescending and I don't mean it. Listener, no, you don't. Because oh any listeners who are like tuning out being like, oh God, she's awful. Um. <sighs> I I do correct people, which is obnoxious. It's the teacher in and you. I'm like, actually. Yeah. So every time I say actually, Fee does that. For I us. yeah. And I we, just have we've to ex- it. we've exaggerated it now beyond all like sense. So it's just turned into. Arrogant. It's something I hone in on when she's speaking, and that's yeah. why even during while you're listening to this podcast, if you hear me in the back, I'm like. Argh. Actually, um, basically, yeah, that's that's. So, listeners, me. now every time I say it, you can all laugh along. Ah, uh, I know what listeners you're talking to. <laughs> Specifically, Hi, Zay. <laughs> Um, because I know he'll be like, yeah, yeah, just, uh, <laughs> that's clear. Really. I'm okay. so sorry. <clears throat> Please continue this absolutely wonderful. Imagine I'm uh, just sorry. This is a tear going down my face, and I'm just like, no, I'm fine. I'm trying to say it. Did you finish it? Yeah. <laughs> you know that soft cry. Yeah. <laughs> You're really trying to hold it in. Like... <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Serious face. Okay. So now every time I say it, we're gonna laugh. I we're gonna laugh now. Every time. Just, just don't look at me. Round it. Bing, 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 bing. Yeah, just don't look actually at me. count. That's I'll just what you stare should at do. you. <laughs> um. Okay. So I'm gonna talk about the uh, distances between the planets. So. Because it'll give us a really good indication of like exactly where the Voyager um is spacecraft is right now. But like space distances are insane. They are mind I was gonna say mind, you know, mind bottling. <laughs> like when your thoughts get all trapped like they're in a bottle. Um they're just mind bending. Like it's so I'm gonna try and make this as simple as possible because I know people are listening. Um, and I'll try and make be as clear and full of clarity as I possibly can. I'm like, you can't spell clarity without clear. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you can, though. <laughs> so, to make this um, simpler, I'll try and 
I'll start by explaining what an astronomical unit is. An astronomical unit is the distance um, from Earth to the sun. And that is 150 million kilometres. Okay, so we're 150 million kilometres away from the sun. All right. That is considered one astronomical unit. Okay. Now, um... Then we have, after astronomical units, um, space distances we usually hear of light years. Mm-hmm. Light years are not, it's not a measurement of time, as some people um, mistakenly believe. It is a unit of distance. And that is a long, long distance. Okay. So if we're 150 million kilometres to the sun, okay. Like I ran two kilometres on the treadmill yesterday. Wait, <laughs> 2k um so 150 million of them i mean it's not happening so that's one astronomical unit okay in a light year there are 63,241 astronomical units that is one light year okay that is 10 trillion kilometers in a light year now think about our near the nearest star to the sun is Proxima Centauri star system that is four light years away and that is considered like our neighbour in our in, in um, the Milky Way it's really close mm-hmm. um, it would take the Voyager space probe 74,000 years <laughs> to reach um, Proxima Centauri it's travelling at 38,000 miles per hour or 11 miles per second that's how fast Voyager is travelling. And it would still take it 74,000 years to reach the nearest star mm-hmm. to the sun. That is mad. It's insane, isn't it? And this yeah. is why when um, when I first got like my first telescope, but even before my first telescope, I got binoculars. Because any any kind of amateur astronomers will know what I'm talking about here. If you, list, if you are going to start um, astronomy and you want to look at the night sky... Um, before you get a telescope, it's really advisable to get a really good pair of binoculars. Um, and shout out to Little here, not a sponsor of the podcast, but um, <laughs> open to negotiations, Little. Um, I got a really, really brilliant pair of binoculars in Little for twenty euro. They're brilliant, and that's you start scanning the night sky because the field of vision is quite big. So like you can look for different yeah, things. Yeah. And what I was looking for, um, which is quite, it can be difficult. It's near Cassiopeia, I think. In the night sky was the Andromeda Galaxy. Mm-hmm. So the Andromeda Galaxy is um, the nearest major galaxy to the Milky Way. It's our neighbour. Our galaxies are actually going to collide in the future. It's a long way off. We'll be fine. We'll all be dead. Um, <laughs> Jeez, just drop facts. It's like, like yeah, that's harsh. It's we'll all be gone. It's like you won't get to witness it <laughs> at all. By the way, did you get an encyclopedia in Little as well, or do you know what your binoculars? No, I actually didn't. <laughs> Imagine it's like free encyclopedia, but like actually I don't need it. <laughs> my encyclopedia is up here. <laughs> it's me pointing at my head. <laughs> um, this episode's going to be like two hours long. I'm so sorry. Um, so the the binoculars. I was always looking for Andromeda because Andromeda is a massive galaxy. It's actually bigger than our galaxy, bigger than the Milky Way. And oh my god, through binoculars, it was the faintest like thing. It was tiny. That is about four and a half million light years from Earth. So if you think about the distance there, if one light year is 10 trillion kilometres, yeah. think about what 4.5 million. Yeah. And that's the nearest major galaxy, spiral galaxy to the Milky Way. So what used to get me so excited about ch- looking at Andromeda was the light 
that was traveling to my eyes left that 4.5 million years ago to travel. It's so cool, isn't it? It's just like that blew my mind. And you can find the Andromeda Galaxy in the night sky and it is just a thing to behold. It's beautiful. Now, there's going to be a lot of segues because I little space. Um... So yeah, those are just some of the distances and what I can do is in a minute I will give you some distances, I hope, if I actually um <laughs> if I actually did my if I wrote them down, maybe I didn't because I got too excited. Uh when I was researching this, the distances to the planets oh, I did. I did write them down. <laughs> I was like, oh my god. Um so yeah, I mean the planets in terms of like cosmic distances they are so close to us they're in our backyard but in terms of like normal earth distances they are incredibly far away um so we flew the voyager spacecraft flew past uh jupiter saturn um uranus i'm pronouncing that correctly for anybody who's like she just doesn't want to say it i'm an adult i'm an adult (laughs) we're like avoiding eye contact um (laughs) it's 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 Uranus even though the students never believe me and they're always like you're you just don't want to say it and I'm like no I actually it's pronounced Uranus <laughs> um so if you think of the outer planets in the solar system and um they're pretty damn far away so you have Jupiter Saturn and I always remember this by the you know the my very excellent mother just served us nine pizzas um or if you want to exclude um you know, Jupiter, you know, the my Mercury, Venus, oh, excellent mother. Okay. Yeah. But I, because of Pluto's um, demotion. I genuinely thought you were going into a spiel about your mom. You were going to be like, oh, where's the pizza? Yeah, yeah, you were like, like what? Where? pizza? Um, or you could, uh, you can do, yeah, my very excellent mother just served us nachos if you want to get rid of pizza or Pluto at the end. Um, poor Pluto. Poor Pluto. Um, okay. So, like, in terms of um, space distances or distances to the uh, Voyager right now, it is about 153 astronomical units from Earth. Or in miles, that's 14 billion miles. That's where it is right now. Now, cosmically, that's actually very small distance. Yeah, yeah. But for a man-made probe to be, it's the furthest thing from Earth at the moment, which is quite amazing. That's Voyager 1. Um, and I said a minute ago, um, 38,000 miles Per hour, 11 miles per second. That's how fast it's traveling. So it's traveling pretty fast. Um, It will travel, it'll take it to travel a light year, one light year, mm-hmm. 18,000 years. As you said, we'll all be dead. We won't be around uh, for whatever the future holds for the Voyager mission, but, uh, or when, you know, anybody stumbles across it out there. Um, But, you know, still, still totally worth it. You're, I'm probably having existentialism right now. Yeah, so, and yeah. it's, that's the thing, the distances of this just, just, they're just mind-blowing. It's, it's just incredible. crazy. Like, if you watch, obviously, I'm assuming you've watched Cosmos, and like, yeah. when they explain the, the calendar of time and scale, you know, in that it's, particular program, it's very... It it's does, it incredible. causes you to kind of have a little bit of a, yeah, like mini existentialism, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so the history of the Voyager mission, and that's because it is a history podcast. Um, I'll talk about that, and I'm going to talk a little bit about, yes, the two my two favourite parts of it, which are the golden record that was put aboard both Voyager probes, um, and the pale blue dot. Oh, nice. Which is written by Carl Sagan, so yeah. I'll talk about Sagan as well. So the Voyager mission, it was, I think I've said this like 15 times. <laughs> Everybody who listens to this like, say, podcast will just again, be saying Voyager and just yeah. talk Voyager. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, do you work for Voyager? 
she works for Big Voyager. Good yeah. morning, Voyager. <laughs> um, why did it? Why? Why was it set out when it was set out? Well, in the late nineteen seventies and early nineteen eighties, because obviously it takes a few years to reach the planets, the outer planets of the solar system, the likes of Jupiter and Saturn. Um, they were aligned in a way that would make it favorable to basically not um have as much propellant so as much fuel or uh like the trip time wouldn't be as long so it was the layout of jupiter saturn uranus and neptune <sighs> it's every time it's gonna I happen know, yeah, just i know gonna i can see you just staring at the wall trying I so am, hard just... um it occurs only once every 175 or 70 176 years so it it like they took their chance and um thank god they did because it really lessened the amount of propellant and time um so what they did is basically they they used the kind of gravitational pull of each planet to kind of slingshot onto the next planet cool so it's really cool exactly Mm. cool cool and feel cool um you rule (laughs) oh my god this is just we've just lost all sense of reason at this point um so yeah, it kind of if you fly by a certain planet, it like the big planets, the likes of Jupiter, obviously they're they're it kind of increases the velocity um and shoots it onto its next destination. And it's called a gravity assist technique. Very cool. Um now Voyager one uh which was actually launched after Voyager two. Voyager two was launched first, but Voyager two was took a little bit of a they decided when it was in flight that this is what they would do. This wasn't the original mission, but they changed the the mission um what's the word objective and they decided to send voyager 2 towards uranus and neptune so they kind of said we haven't and you have to think these planets were never um explored before now we had no photographs of them we mm-hmm. we knew very little about what they looked like we knew that i mean if you um if you you can see them through a telescope in the night sky, they're very blurry back in the day, aren't they? Yeah, you know, there, and then there, there was a pale like hue off them, yeah, um, like a blue or a green kind of hue, but like they Distorted, didn't know, like yeah, lack of detail, they didn't yeah. know much about them. So because of this gravity assist and because of the alignment of the planets, the flight time to Neptune was reduced from thirty years to twelve years. Mm. So like they more than halved it, which is amazing. Very cool. Now, um, they they decided to um fund intensive flyby studies of Jupiter and Saturn only in the beginning. But yeah, and then they decided, actually, no, we can... Don't say it. Actually. <laughs> they decided then that we can slingshot them past um, just Voyager 2. Voyager 1 was left to... Which is why Voyager 1 is further ahead now. So Voyager 1 is... Okay, I is, thought... Is, sorry, I was getting confused. I thought that's my own fault. I thought that because I just thought Voyager 1 was actually not slingshot it further sorry i was getting kind of confused there That's voyager just... one they both go by jupiter and saturn okay all right voyager one is then slingshot just out into space okay and okay. V- uh voyager two is slingshot towards the outer ice giants so Eureka. uranus and, and neptune so they decide to send voyager two um that way and cool. the other way so um they studied more than ten thousand trajectories so like they knew exactly what trajectory they would send it on so which is just like amazing um they had a really good look at jupiter's moon io one of the galilean moons they looked at saturn's large moon titan uh they then decided that voyager 2 would have some like really beautiful and i really urge people to look these up because they are just um stunning the photos of uranus and neptune they are two very pretty planets Mm -hmm. i will say that um very cold, <laughs> but very pretty. Um, 
So, Voyager 2 launched first, August 20th, 1977. Voyager 1, September 5th, 1977. Okay. Voyager um, 1 comes to Jupiter on March the 5th, um, 1979. So, two years it took to get there. And Saturn on November 12th, 1980, followed by Voyager 2 to Jupiter on July 9th, 1979 and Saturn on August 25th 1981 so they they do start to their times they start to drift apart quite mm. a lot oh, the longer I part. know you kind of want them to be like friends in the long day that you might you I don't know um, but yeah they go splitsy so you just Aww, forever you do you kind of yeah you want them to be like friends in space mm, but they're, they're inanimate alone. objects but they're alone now forever I know. Yeah. <laughs> forever alone <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like if you think you're lonely, <laughs> you're not Voyager one. Voyager. <laughs> so you're such a Voyager. Okay. Um. Sorry. So Voyager two uh, arrived. That so it, as I said previously, Voyager one floating off into space. Okay. Voyager two er, encountered Uranus on the twenty fourth of January nineteen eighty six. So it's been going for about nine years at this stage. Mm-hmm. That's how long it took it. So that just shows even how big our solar system is. Like, it is huge. Um, you're looking, I think, now this is off the top of my head, so I'm willing to be correct here. I think Uranus is at a distance of about two billion um, kilometres from the sun and Neptune is about four billion or maybe more. I think it's about 4.5 billion, actually, um, kilometres. So these are huge distances. Mm-hmm. Um the uh, like the closest obviously to the sun out of the four outer planets so with the inner planets of the solar system of which we are one so mercury venus earth mars they're all the terrestrial planets meaning they're you can actually stand on their surfaces and then the outer planets are jupiter saturn um uh, uranus and neptune and they're either gas giants so jupiter and saturn mm-hmm. or ice giants um uranus and neptune and they are really far away. So um, Jupiter is about, and again, I don't have the figures in front of me, so this is off the top of my head. Jupiter is in the 700 million miles anyway, somewhere 700 million um, kilometers, sorry. And then Saturn is, I think, about a billion and it maybe it may be some change. And uh, the other two then are about two point something billion and um, Neptune is about four point something billion. So they are far away like really far away um but then in cosmic terms not so far at all okay um voyager one crossed into the heli now this is why this is such a big deal it has officially left the solar system which is the first man-made object ever to leave the solar system and the distances of that are uh, pretty amazing. It's kind of considered to be August 25th, 2012, when Voyager 1 entered interstellar space. Interstellar space means that it's the space between stars. So it's no longer in a place that is influenced by our sun, mm-hmm. um, where the solar winds or the solar particles, things, you know, um, elements and things floating out in space are not affecting the area of space that Voyager 1 is in. Um, that's huge. Like that's a really big deal. Voyager two will also head out of the solar system, but it's it's significantly behind Voyager one at the moment. Um. So and eventually, so what's their fate? Where are they going to go? Well, they're not going to run for too much longer because they're going to run out. Obviously, of they're not going to, be able to send information back home. They're just going to wander around the uh, the Milky Way. And um, are they going to stay within the Milky Way? Yeah. Okay. 
So it's kind of cool that you said wander because planet obviously is Latin for wanderer, isn't it? Yeah, which is, really nice, which is it's know? it is a lovely. That's mm. the thing. Um, there's a great poem by um John Keats as well on first looking into Chapman's Homer that I always do with the students. It's all about astronomy and how like it feels like you're exploring. You know, it's mm. it's just it's it's really lovely poem. I'm sure my students are like yeah, it's just great. I love it. <laughs> um, there is a. Uh, on the very, very outer shell of the solar system, something called the Oort cloud. Um, it's still um, hype-theorised, I suppose I should say. Um, they'll kind of, they'll float through that in 300 years, or they'll reach that in 300 years. And then when they eventually leave kind of this portion of the galaxy, they'll just, they'll wander past some star systems in about 40,000 years. Wow. Um, maybe something will see them and intercept them. You know, we don't know. Um what will they basically do? For now, they'll study um, interstellar space and send back data to us. But there's not much else for them to do. They're not going to, their cameras uh, won't be taking pictures anymore. So there's literally nothing for them to do. That'll go on for about a decade. And then communications um, will continue until their power sources can no longer supply enough electrical energy to power critical subsystems. Okay. Now, why is it so, like, We'll say they're running out there in the solar system now, um, outside the solar system if you're Voyager 1. And 40,000 years, I don't know, somebody's just driving through space because that's probably what people will be doing. <laughs> and um, they come across the Voyagers. Well, Carl Sagan, so noted um, astronomer, all around legend, Ledge, that was Carl yeah. Sagan. Um, Carl Sagan wrote Cosmos, presented the original Cosmos. He did. And the best one, sorry, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I like Neil though, because he was a big fan of Carl Sagan. I know. And like, he even had his autograph when he was 17. I know, so it's, it's really cute. cute. I do like Neil deGrasse Tyson, but I'm just, uh, Carl Sagan Carl is just forever going to be my favourite. Um, Cosmos. And then he wrote the follow-up to Cosmos, The Pale Blue Dot, which is just, like, what I love about Carl Sagan is the blend of science and literature. Liter- like, he mm-hmm. writes science in a in a kind of a manner like a be- really beautiful it's mm-hmm. not it's it's emotive it's emotional it's really beautiful and a little bit of philosophy thrown in for good measure so I love reading Carl Sagan mm-hmm. he was obviously working at Cornell University and he kind of said we should put something on board the Voyagers that if it is intercepted that we will tell the people who we are and who mm-hmm. we were and where Earth is and whatever so they're called the Golden Records and they are absolutely the stuff that's on them is really cool like it's I mean, if you think about it, if you had to send out something into space, oh, <laughs> I would like Rickroll them. <laughs> I'd, I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to make men lose my mind. Oh, yeah. I oh, know, I'd probably Rickroll them. I'd definitely Rickroll them. And then, yeah, never going to give you up. Never gonna... And then, <laughs> just being like laughing at how hilarious my prank is. Um, so I'll tell you what was actually included on the golden record. Um... They included like images, so pictures, right? So things like, um, oh, like human, what's the word? Uh, achievements. Um, maths, they, loads of maths. Mm, maths is maths universal. Is universal. Baby. Uh, things like DNA, mm-hmm. um, pictures of humans and how they look, pictures of humans like embracing and kissing and stuff, pictures of children, like it's really, really sweet. Mm. Then they also included like, um, Music, so songs. I was thinking that. Um, they included 
And uh, the, some of the songs they included, like, think about it. If you, again, what would you include? Well, what was the year? It was uh, when this was... Uh, 1977. So you're thinking what the... No, they included, like, a lot. So not just from the era, like, you know, there's, oh, okay. there's bits Classical of, music, I'm assuming, like, yeah. maybe Beethoven or... They sent, yeah, they sent Mozart. Yeah. So they might have put Beethoven on it. I'm not sure, but definitely Mozart. Mozart. Yeah. Um, just the, I suppose, the the all-round geniuses of our time in respective fields of study and yep. arts and creativity and intelligence. And That's basically yeah. what they did. They tried to make it as inclusive as possible, as culturally kind of inclusive. Um, I suppose different types of music maybe from, like, cultures? Is that what you're saying? Like, Yeah. yeah. So they did that, the music from all around the world, not just... Kaylee. <laughs> Imagine from Ireland, yeah. <laughs> the, the diddlies. The Kerry Polka. Yeah, the out there. Bishop Fields of Atten Roy, sure I mean. Floating through space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the field. We, we have to have, you know, the backup chant going on there as well, just a bit of record. Like. Um, they included like Chuck Berry, <laughs> um, like yeah, some really cool music. Mm-hmm. And they also um, put greetings from all around the world. So I think it's something like 55 languages, um, ancient languages, modern languages, everybody. And that's the thing. They called people in and they didn't say like, this is what we want you to say. Just talk. Just say, mm. greet people. So like, and they're really cute. And the one I have here, because I think this is adorable. This is Carl Sagan's son, Nick Sagan, as a child. He was chosen as the English greeting. So there's like everything oh. from like Mandarin Chinese. There's like bits of every language, just in case the aliens are like, you know, <laughs> we only speak French. <laughs> we are French aliens. Um, that would suck for me anyway. <laughs> you'd be like, French I, aliens I coming down. I'm like, I don't so speak your I'm going to play Nick Sagan's one because okay. it's super cute. So we listen to this. Hello from the children of planet Earth. How cute is that? that is Hello from adorable. the children of planet Earth. Imagine someone from Limerick. Well, <laughs> the Limerick greeting. Well, how's it going? Or Cork. <laughs> how's it going? They'd be like, do you know who's some gowl? Yeah. Come here, if those French aliens come down, I dance on their head. <laughs> um. So yeah, that's why they chose Nick Sagan and not, yes. us, not us. Oh, he's so cute. Yeah, that's adorable. Yeah, he is adorable. So um, that's the golden record, and the, yeah, the hope is that they'll. It's it's it is literally a, a phonographic record. So like um, and it's been encrypted with like on um, instructions on how to play it's it. Like a cosmic time capsule. That's exactly what Carl Sagan said. He said <gasps> it was basically like he called it time, but also like putting no putting a message in a bottle and putting it into the ocean. So that's what he said. The cosmic ocean. So. The the chances of someone coming across it are extremely slim. But I mean the chances there. Um yeah. Do you get me? I totally believe I it would you be have to amazing, it'd be incredible. Some, yeah. But it would be a very long time. It could be a hundred thousand years before yeah, you know, we're all probably gone by then, you know. But... <sighs> Just bleak. <laughs> It's time to cry again. Um, <laughs> silent cry. Speaking of Carl Sagan, he also asked that um, a photograph be taken. So, which, if you think about this, we're, we're going out into space and we're looking forward, obviously, towards the outer planets, but also towards, like, the heliosheath of the outer um, solar system, the heliosphere. But Carl had a, um, Carl, I should call him Sagan, not Carl, I'm your best friends. <laughs> hey, I Carl. wish in my head we're best friends, but yeah. He, um, he had a, a request, which was turn the camera around and face it towards the planets and take a photograph, which I think is beautiful mm-hmm. because 
it should like he from his perspective like yeah we're looking out we're looking forward we're gonna be taking loads of photos again encourage listeners look at the photos that voyager took of the planets definitely it they are beautiful mm-hmm. like oh they're stunning um so they took something and it's really cute it's called a family portrait photo of the planets of the solar system and um they are literally like tiny little pixels suspended in sunbeams they are gorgeous photos but they're tiny and it just again he was trying to kind of elicit feelings of humility in us and like how um just from that far away your Mm -hmm. problems seem very very insignificant the photo was taken from six billion kilometers away um by voyager one um in 1990 on valentine's day in 1990 so Carl Sagan then wrote um, one of the photos is the photo of Earth Mm -hmm. and it just looks like this tiny, tiny little blue speck Mm -hmm. suspended in um, a a beam of light. It's a sun beam from the sun and that photo kind of inspired him to write the pale blue dot and this is an excerpt from the book. Um, the where he speaks about that photograph. So mm-hmm. I'm going to end my little piece reading this from mm-hmm. Carl Sagan, and it's really, really beautiful. Um, and it just kind of puts this all into perspective and the importance of I think space exploration. So he says, "Look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being you ever was lived out their lives." The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species live there on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. The earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors so that in glory and triumph they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. Think of the endless cruelties visited by the inhabitants of one corner of this pixel on the scarcely distinguishable inhabitants of some other corner. How frequent their misunderstandings, how eager they are to kill one another, how fervent their hatreds. Our posturings, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe are challenged by this point of pale light. Our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. In our obscurity, in all this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. The earth is the only world known so far to harbour life. There is nowhere else, at least in the near future, to which our species could migrate. Visit, yes. Settle, not yet. Like it or not, for the moment the earth is where we make our stand. It has been said that astronomy is a humbling and character building experience. There is perhaps no better demonstration of the folly of human conceits than this distant image of our tiny world. To me, it underscores our responsibility to deal more kindly with one another and to preserve and cherish the pale blue dot, the only home we've ever known. It's just beautiful. Isn't it? Mm. It's lovely. And that's why to me Voyager is always going to be my favourite because I think it's just incredible. I've yeah. actually I've played that on I've played Sagan's reading of that. Sagan's reading is yeah. beautiful and it's the music even better than mine. It. So if you but want to go look that up, it's I it's think great. it's something that people do need to hear because it really puts literally yeah. everything that we know and are and were and will be 
into that perspective. It gets you thinking. It gets you thinking about your place and time. Um, it gets you thinking about what matters, what doesn't matter. Um, I think it's an incredible reading of it. And I think Something that it's Something that's time. amazing as well. Um, uh, like about the Voyager missions, what you can do actually, you can go onto the website at the moment and you can see like real time movement of it. So <sighs> it's updated every second. So it's, you can see how fast it's moving. Mm. You can see its current position. What, what site is that again? It's the NASA site for okay. the Voyager mission. Do you, um, like, um, do you have Google? I'm assuming you, you know so much, you know, in terms of the sky and the maps, but do you have Google Sky Map on I, your phone? I did. I had it because I, I just cool. got a new phone. So yeah. I have to get all my apps, but yeah. Um, so the Voyager mission, yeah, like the Voyager Voyager one is like very well, Voyager. Fourteen billion. Happy New Year! Yeah, <laughs> poor old Voyager. That's what I was saying earlier. If you ever feel like a total loner, be like, well, <laughs> Voyager one is out there. Just on well, Voyager two as well, but Voyager one's further away. So, so both will eventually. They'll um, they'll just be wandering around the Milky Way. Yeah, squawking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> snooping. And just someone, someone, someday will just be, it'll be like Matthew McConaughey just floating out in space being like, oh. <laughs> Here we are. I thought that was absolutely brilliant. Thank um, you so much. That was class. Listeners probably don't know this because we seamlessly edited it. I feel my mother popped in in the middle of my story, which is why it's probably a little disjointed. And there's probably places where I was like, <laughs> said the same sentence about 50 times because I was like, did I say it? I don't know. Uh, Mam called in for a visit. <laughs> And she was like, shout out. You would have heard in the background being like, hello, Claire. And I was like, oh, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> cut out, cut out, cut out, edit. Um, so if there's any discrepancies in my story and you're wondering why I'm talking about one thing, one second, and that, that's why. But I think oh, you kept the I think we pretty, I think we did a pretty good job of editing that together. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay, on that note, we're going to say goodbye. We're going to thank you so much for listening. Thank and you. Um, hope that you liked this episode this is a kind of mad episode and um, that you like and subscribe and do all the nice things for us because it is only through you that we can continue making this exactly podcast <laughs> <laughs> okay we will see you very soon bye